Hey guys, I'm very excited to share this with you today. It's my talk on building an intentional legacy. This talk is very close to me. As you guys know, at the end of every show, I ask our guests, what does legacy mean to you and what legacy are you going to leave behind? So this, based on all those guests and based on my experience, is a tactical guide to building an intentional legacy. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. You know, next speaker, what I want to talk about is a, a person that's uh, not just a, a businessman that took, uh, you know, his business to a the next level and um you know i i've learned a lot through his podcast and but watching his journey what i gotta say is what's been really touching is like um you know the 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 reconciliation of his family and that's been really a big example for me and um the strengths and how he turned the weakness into strength so i gotta say this man has been an example to me so uh i think we shall give a genuine applaud for doug mitchell Thank you for that, I appreciate that. So uh, I'm gonna get a little cheesy with you guys real quick. We're gonna do the, the foo-foo stuff first. I just wanna get you in this frame of mind real quick. So if uh, once you're seated, so we don't hurt anybody, if everybody could close your eyes for me real quick and uh, just give yourself a second to center yourself, relax a little bit, take a deep breath. And uh, I'm gonna ask you a question. So if you died today, what would the legacy be that you left behind? So try and visualize that legacy. Is it, is it, is it a, you know, a suitcase full of cash? Is it a big, sprawling, beautiful property? Is it a collection of baseball cards? Or you know, what, what is the visualization of that legacy? And you guys can go ahead and open your eyes now. And so, does anybody have anything that they want to share? What they saw? Any volunteers? I'm going to start calling on people. Paul? Um, I would say, to me, the valuable legacy would be, um, you know, what, what people saw in me would be the, the joy I brought in life in, in every relationship. And people think of me as, like, the person that could always make somebody happy, happy and bring that joy into the world. Yeah, so what Paul, Paul is talking about is uh, a value. And you know, one of Paul's values is to bring joy to others. And that's why he's smiling all the time, like Philip said. And so it, it's very hard to visualize a legacy. You know, and I, and, I, and I had this question, you know, what would happen if I die? And I actually came face to face with that question last week. I got a little story for you guys. Does anybody know what this is? Do I need the clicker? Hmm? Oh, the pad. So just use yeah. the pad? Yeah. Okay. No, you, no, you're good. There we go. 
Does anybody know what that is? He kind of gave it away. He went to the second one. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a, those are buttons from a rattlesnake tail. And so I was watching, I forgot what we were, no, I was reading, I was reading. Um, and uh, I heard my 10-year-old son yell, there's a snake in the backyard. And immediately my heart dropped because I had just sent my eight-year-old son into the backyard when it was dark to take out the trash, you know? And so, you know, I'm thinking the worst automatically because just a month prior, Alicia, my wife, had seen a snake in our flower bed. And she wasn't quite sure what it was because she wasn't going outside to find out, right? So she took a picture of it. We live out in Divine, Texas on three acres. So we live in the, the country, the semi-country is what I'm gonna call it, you know, because it's not that big of a property. But anyways, so she took a picture of it. We posted it on Facebook and everybody's like, oh, it may not be a rattler, it may be this or whatever the case is, but she heard it rattling. And so I run outside to see what kind of snake it is. And all I see is this like figure in the middle of my backyard. So in my backyard, there's a three foot deck. So we're on top of the deck and the snake's about where Philip is. And uh, so we're all outside now. Everybody wants to see what's going on. So. He's sitting there and he's just looking at us. He's rattling and he is not liking what he's seeing in front of him, right? And so me and Alicia are sitting there talking about, okay, how do we handle this? Because if we just let this snake do what it, it wants, it may be here tomorrow and the next day and then the kids may get bit or we may get bit, right? This is, this is, by this time we know it's a rattlesnake, it's loud. And so we're talking about what to do with it. You know, one of the options was I'm gonna pull out my 40 and I'm gonna shoot it, right? Well, my neighbors are about an acre and a half away each on each side, right? So I don't want them to call the cops and I don't want us to be out here for an hour and have to do a police report all the, and all that. I have my shotgun too. I could just blow it to bits with my shotgun and then that would mess up my beautiful yard though that I spent so much money and time on though, you know? And I'm thinking this in my head and I'm like, all right, you know, and I have this, this, this genuine fear and I'm like, I need to go out there and handle it, but how am I gonna do it? There's a wheelbarrow in the corner of my yard I could go over there and like kind of just throw the wheelbarrow on top of the snake, you know what I mean? At least contain it. And then, uh, so because we had that snake in the yard a month before, I had left a shovel by the door, you know, and it's one of those flat nose shovels, you know, so it's perfect for chopping off snake heads. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm probably gonna have to use this shovel. I'm gonna have to walk out there. And I, I remember one of my friends, uh, Houston, I play rugby with, he's killed a lot of snakes before. And he's like, look, they only have a two foot striking radius. So as long as you stay two feet away, you can nail it with the shovel and you're in good shape. I didn't have that kind of confidence. And honestly, the snake didn't give me a time to decide because it started coming at us. And so imagine where Phillip's at and this snake is slowly coming at us, right? You're like, okay. This is it, this is about to happen. So I reach back and I grab that shovel and I'm holding it over the side of the banister and now this thing is booking it at us. And I'm like, what is this snake doing? He sees these huge figures, you know, and I know they see thermally, right? So you see these huge, massive heat signatures and he's still coming at us. And so in my head, this is a super snake. You know what I mean? This is the fear that is going through me, right? Because I, I'm not a country boy. I grew up in the suburbs, okay? I've never encountered a rattlesnake. How many people in here have encountered a rattlesnake? Exactly. <laughs> that was scary. So I shouldn't have to justify it that much, but I am. So this thing's coming at me, 
and then it, 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 it gets close to the shovel, and I guess it sees the shovel, so it coils back up, and it's about to strike, and I just hammer down as hard as I can, and of course, I don't hit anywhere near the head, I hit the body. You know what I mean? And then it kind of just slumps to the right a little bit, and it looks like it's still gonna try and strike, even though I just chopped him in half, pretty much. And then I, I hit him again, this time near the neck, and then on the head, and I just start going at it, you know? And so, you know, at that point, we're like, okay, what do we do with this thing? She's like, you gotta keep the tail, you know what I mean? You gotta be able to tell this story, you know, to the kids or whatever when they grow up and they don't remember quite everything about it and stuff like that. So I kept the tail and I ended up burning the snake because in my head, the snake's friends are gonna see its body and like come after me, you know what I'm saying? So, so that's my story about the snake. That's the actual snake there. That was after I hit it in the neck or whatever. So at that point, I think it's dead, but it still does that wiggly stuff, you know, with the nerves and everything. So, segue, right? <laughs> so something that I have been thinking about a lot the past year is about legacy, right? Because me and my wife have done something that I feel like very few couples have done, which we were divorced and we reconciled and we got back together. You know. So, Typically, everybody knows at least one person, but what do we know? 300 people, so that's less than 1% of people that have done this, right? And so I knew that I couldn't just throw away this chance to, one, be an example for other people, but also build something from this. At that point, I knew that, that God had blessed us with this reconciliation and this remarriage, so I've got to do something with it, right? So I started researching legacy. And a lot of people would ask me, especially in my, in my younger years, because I, I had a direct sales business, door-to-door -door sales, and I blew, it, it blew up in my 20s. And so a lot of, yeah, it didn't transfer over just right, but a lot of people asked, asked me what kind of legacy I wanted to leave. And in my 20s, it was money and land and things that really pump up our ego, right? guns and whatever else. I want my kids to have all this stuff. I, I want them to have millions of dollars and I'm gonna be the one, right? You hear I, Ed Milet talk about the one all the time, right? And so it was always these, these really material things, which obviously being in your 20s, sometimes your head's not in the right place. And so as I got older, that, that legacy changed a lot. And so what I wanted to do was to talk about, okay, how do we identify what we want our legacy to be? Because you just tried to visualize it, and I'm sure there was a bit of a struggle there between the value type things and then the physical type things. Because a, a lot of people, when I did the, the research, I did, it, I did it with my podcast too. I've asked Philip this question before. Uh, yeah, he's the only one. Oh, and I asked Cody this question as well. You know, what does legacy mean to you, and what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? And I did get a lot of the same answers that I would have given in my 20s, which is physical things, right? Which is, you know, in my head, uh, Mitchell is a, is a Scottish name, right? And so in my head, I was gonna uh, find the clan colors and tattoo them on me and, you know, I was gonna have Mitchell there. It was all ego, ego type stuff, right? And then I started getting some, some different answers. And some of the answers were just values. Right? I just want to leave my values to my kids and have them pass them on to their kids and that's where my legacy is going to be. Some of them was land, some of them was money, some of them was their business. you know. And so 
I started thinking about how to package this all so that we can be intentional about it. You know, a lot of us have, it's kind of, it's not weird, but it's weird that I did this talk because a lot of y'all's talks kind of feed right into it, you know? When you look at uh, Crystal, what you're doing with the Refresher Weekends, that's legacy building, you know? Um, When you look at uh, Jeff, what he was talking about with his farm, that his dad kept telling him, you're gonna have this farm someday. Well, what if my business goes under? What if the farm gets taxed at a higher rate and we can't afford it anymore, you know what I mean? Like how am I going to leave those values behind now? And so if, I, if you get two things out of this, I'd, I'd like it to be this. Identify the legacy that you wanna leave. And this is real work that we have to do on this. This just can't be a thought that happens in one day. You know, this is something that you need to be thinking about over the next couple of weeks and uh, has to be incredibly important to you. And then the second thing I want us to do is to get intentional about building it. And so, and I'm, I'm sorry for the graphics. This was all laid out very nicely, but it didn't transfer over well. Um, so when I talk about building great sales teams in my podcast, um, I talk about Great sales teams can't be recruited, they're built brick by brick, right? And so the, the same thing with the legacy is it is something that you have to build brick by brick. And to me, there's three levels to this legacy, okay? The first is gonna be value, all right? The values that we have. We, we hear about them in our business, we, we talk about them as core values, right? Well, we have the same values in our own life and. The beautiful thing about values is that, is that they're eternal. They can't be destroyed, they can't be broken, they can't be lost, right? And that's why that has to be the foundation of our legacy. They can be passed on easily and then we can intentionally make them subconscious, all right? My values when I was 23 were way different than my values today. But it's because I spent the last two years in intense work on myself fixing those values and making them better. You know what I'm saying? My values when I was 23 was completely different. So the next piece of that is the passions, right? The passions are our business, right? Their philanthropy, and then maybe even some of our hobbies. These are the things that we love to spend our time doing, right? When we're not raising kids, when we're not uh, developing our relationship with our spouse, our passions are the things, they're the work. Right, our business is the work, the philanthropy, the time that we give to causes. That's the work that we do. And that work results in assets, right? And so, good luck describing an asset because there's the Webster's Dictionary and then there's the way everybody else describes it, right? If you ask like Guy Kawasaki, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he would say an asset has to produce income, which is not necessarily true. I'm sure David knows this more, better than I do, right? And so assets are the result, right? And a lot of times when we think about legacy, all we think about is the asset, you know, especially when you're younger and in your 20s, right? And, but asset is money, real estate, and then the, the things, or heirlooms, like I like to call them, right? But that's just the result of the legacy that you built. Values is the foundation because if your values aren't in your passion and your passion doesn't produce that asset, then you don't, you're not gonna have a strong legacy. 
And you have to be intentional about it. And the first thing you got to be intentional about is those values. So now we have a construct, right? The biggest thing about this is don't overthink it initially. I, I know I, should, I said it should take you a few days. But remember, these things can change. Your, your core values in your business change. So sometimes your core values and your legacy will change. And what will happen is some of them will become subconscious and you'll bring the other ones to the forefront so you can start working on those, right? All right, the best way for me to walk you through as an example is myself, obviously. That's, so I want to give you guys an, an example of an intentional legacy. So I built this out over the last week. Don't get me wrong, this was not done before this last week. But I've been working on this in my subconscious for a long time. So that's why when it finally came out, it was easy, okay? And so, again, the values are eternal. They're easily transferred to your children and their children. And you should be working on those values to make them subconscious. So my first one is going to be value family. I never had a strong family growing up. And so valuing family came from a place of want. I wanted a strong family because I didn't have one. So I have conviction in that. That's the other thing about your values. You have to have conviction in them. You can't just say them because they sound cool and you saw them on mine and that sounds good so you're going to put them on yours. They got to come from somewhere. Some, people's, some people uh, value feeding other people because they grew up hungry. You know what I'm saying? So it has to come from conviction. Another one of my big values is integrity, okay? And uh, you mind if I, guys, if I get a little vulnerable with you guys real quick? All right, I appreciate that. Uh, some of y'all know my story. You know, I, I, I got the chance to own or finance my business when I was 23, okay? I had been in an office space all of two years. I was a marketing manager for a collectible gold company. They did industrial staffing, and he started this crazy door-to-door -door business for AT&T, right? And somehow, I got the opportunity to start managing it and eventually buy it from the previous owner, okay? And so when I bought it, it was worth nothing. It was a contract with AT&T to sell their products door-to-door, -door. and that was the only way that we could sell. And uh, I had one sales manager in Houston at that point, and then I had fired my whole Corpus Christi team because they'd rather smoke weed in their cars than knock on doors, right? And so I got rid of all of them and I started from scratch. So three years later, I had 110 sales reps, 10 offices, and we were doing $5 million in business. Sounds great, right? That, that growth came as a result from something that was lacking in my childhood. I had abandonment issues from my mom. My dad never wanted me around, so I had abandonment issues there. So I had mommy and daddy issues, guys. <laughs> so I had this lack from my childhood, and it manifested into me trying to prove constantly that I was worthy. And I did that through my business, and I worked my ass off through my business, and I you know, we got married when we were 23. When I took over the business, I had a three-month-old daughter. But I wasn't, a, I wasn't afraid of risk because I didn't have much that I was coming from in the first place. So what was I going to lose, right? I had a $30,000 a year job as a marketing manager at 23, you know? And uh, so I, I, I took all these risks. I blew up the business. 
And then here's the problem with all of your goals being material, money, success, nice things, is once you get them, then you're still hungry. You're still, something's still missing in here, right? And my wife used to say it all the time, you're never content, you can never just sit, you can never just spend time with your daughter or your sons. You know what I mean? You have to be on the phone doing this because I'm a business owner and I have to be working all the time. It's the grind. Philip was talking about that earlier. You know, we have this idea, this construct in our head that we have to fulfill. And, and all, you see all the memes on Instagram and everything, and, and I totally bought into that. And so I put in the hours necessary to make all that, that happen. And then guess what? You get there and you're like, what now? And so instead of looking within myself and fixing those abandonment issues and working on myself, what did I do? I reached for more material things. And once you have the money and once you have the physical things, what material things are you going to go after after that? The physical things. So I was unfaithful in my marriage. And I lived that way for a long time. I lived that way for almost two years. And it just destroyed my soul day in and day out. And so what happened was I was finally convicted by God. I had an event in Houston. I was, I was at my, my office there in Houston, and then I had gone out that night with some random people from a hotel room because that's what I did back then. And uh, I got, I think something must have been slipped in my drink because I only had two drinks the whole night, right? So I'll, but it was as if I was hammered, right? And I'm wandering around downtown Houston and this homeless man starts walking up to me. And you know, I'm plastered, right? So, but I still have my, I still have that voice in the back of my head and, it, and, it, and it's saying, this guy's about to stab you for your wallet. This guy's about to, to steal everything from you. And sure enough, he walks up to me and he starts to put his hand out and I think he's attacking me and I get scared. I go like this and he's like, what are you doing out here? You shouldn't be out here. You're gonna get hurt. Somebody's going to rob you. And I'm like, I thought it was you that was gonna rob me, <laughs> you know? And so basically, long story short, he guides me to a taxi stand and that gets me back to the hotel room. And so a night that I should have been murdered or robbed or whatever the case is, I had a guardian angel there looking out for me. Who, who knows why? Maybe it was because I was going to have this someday. And so I went home convicted, and I, and I sought God again. But the thing that I didn't do is I still didn't have integrity. Because if I had integrity, I would have went and told my wife what I had been doing the last two years. And so it must have been eight months to a year after that, after I stopped everything that I was doing, and I went sober, I went clean, right? And uh, she found an old email or something like that, and then I just laid everything on her, and I told her everything. And obviously, when you've been with someone for nine years at that point, that's hard to handle. So we separated. We got divorced. We moved to San. We, we lived in Corpus Christi at the time. We moved to San Antonio. I was renting a home there. She was renting an apartment. And as I was driving to San Antonio, because I had already moved her there, I just sold the house, split the assets, all that good stuff. As I was driving to San Antonio, I made the decision then, just like I made the decision to stop doing everything that I was doing before, I made the decision then to stop lying. 
from now on, everybody is going to know everything bad about me. I'm going to put it all out there. Funny thing happens when you do that, guys. When you, when you just put it all out there and say, hey, this is me. I fucked up for two years straight. You know what I'm saying? This is the worst version of me, and this is who I am now. Nobody can touch you after that. Nobody can hurt you. There was strategy in that, right? And that's when I decided, that's when the, the core value or the value of integrity got instilled in me. And I decided moving forward, I'm always going to be honest. And it is not easy being honest with people that you love. It is, it is not easy, guys. And so that's why having integrity is incredibly important to me. Being grateful is a huge one. Because when you're grateful, you're present, and when you're present, you experience peace and love, right? And that's what God put us on this earth to experience is peace and love, you know, whether it's love for him or love for each other, right? And so being, being grateful is incredibly important to me. And, th and that's the thing, too. Um, I think, Crystal, you alluded to it earlier about those 20-minute segments in your day. Well, one of my 20-minute segments, I'm filling out uh, an app that I'm going to tell you guys about in a little bit, but I put... I put five things that I'm grateful for in that app. And guys, if you start your day out grateful, like you're, you're going to destroy the rest of the day because nothing can hurt you after that. I mean, don't get me wrong, it can, but it's a lot harder to, okay? So another one is be present. I told you guys when I was in the early years of my business that uh, I couldn't just sit there and spend time with my family, right? I had to be on my phone, you know? And, and here's the problem is, if you're not present and you can't experience the love that your daughter's given you in that moment, then if you're, if you're shielding yourself from that with this thing, this phone in between you two, then that's going to leave a hole. And a lot of times in this world, we're constantly have things put in front of us to fill that hole. You know what I mean? But it's, it's the material things. It's the sinful things. It's, it's things that aren't going to truly quench our soul's thirst. But that love from your daughter will, and that's why being present is important. And then, obviously, the most important is follow Christ. So this is probably, the follow Christ piece is probably the most work I have to do. I'll read a business book all day, but sitting down and reading that Bible is like torture to me. And I know that doesn't make any sense with the life that I have now, you know what I'm saying? But that's probably me recognizing that's the most growth that I have to go after right there. And so... That's going to be incredibly important to me because if anybody was the most present, the most loving, you know, had the most peace in his heart, it was Christ. And that's what I'm after because I, I get to be the best version of myself when I do that. And so as you can see in the pictures, I went from, you know, 285 pounds overweight, cheating in my marriage, you know, giving in to lust and all these different things, these, these things that don't do anything for us, to after three years of being divorced, we were able to reconcile. And one of the other reasons I'm following Christ is because he did this for me right here. This family you see on the right, that was actually just three weeks ago when we got remarried, and that's our reception right there. And he did that for me because me and Alicia tried to reconcile like five times before that. And it never worked. It never worked until she opened her heart up back to God and God enabled her to forgive me. His forgiveness is absolute. It's unconditional. It's very hard to do for us 
when we can scroll through our phone and talk to 17, you know, good looking guys, you know what I'm saying? So, or girls, whatever the case is. Like it's all there for us on our phone. And so, so we have these values, right? That's our foundation, okay? How do we execute on passing those to our children or passing those to the people that matter? Well, I, I have a few tools here, you know, and I would encourage you to create your own tools. You may have them already, right? Some of my tools are dinner time, okay? When it comes to like the value of being present or the value of following Christ, when we have dinner, the phones go away, right? When we have dinner, we do uh, high-low buffalo. Have y'all heard of that? Anybody heard of high-low buffalo? So you, you give your high for the day, you give your low for the day, and you give your buffalo. And your buffalo is something that surprised you that day. So I get to hear about my kid's day every night at dinner that I'm in town, right? And then we'll do the same thing at breakfast. Like if we get a weekend breakfast, or maybe I, I stay a little late at home to have breakfast with the family, we do the same thing. It's my kids are like, all right, high-low buffalo, let's go. It's not even me doing it anymore. It's them, you know? They, and that's the thing about your kids is they'll take these intentional acts that you're trying to pass on your values to them, and they will absorb them like that because they don't have all this crap in their head from living 35 years already, right? <laughs> they are sponges, you know? So I guarantee my kids will do high-low buffalo until they're 99. Uh, date. Date your wife, date your kids. You know, we, we talked about this earlier. Being intentional about your relationship and, and doing that date night once a week. And it's difficult to do. Me and Alicia aren't perfect at it. Um, and then right now I'd say I go on a daddy-daughter date about once every two months. And I try to spend intentional time with my sons as, as much as possible, whether it's just like we did the school shopping on Friday. You know, and then we got pizza and had ice cream. And, you know, that's my excuse now when I'm not being good. I'm doing it with my kids. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> time blocking is huge for me, guys. That's what you see a picture of here is time blocking. Okay? So when I'm in the office, and this is a, another piece, having integrity. Okay? When you put something in your calendar and you say, I'm going to accomplish this task during this time, or I'm going to spend 40 minutes on this task, then when you do that for the whole 40 minutes, you get a dopamine hit because you kept integrity with yourself by completing that task. You know what I'm saying? We get dopamine hits from scrolling through TikTok or, or scrolling through Facebook or whatever the case is. Let's get some by time, time blocking and accomplishing those blocks. And then what happens, you get those dopamine hits all day with work and what do you feel at the end of the day? You feel accomplished. You may have not crossed one task off your list don't get me wrong, some of these tasks are huge, right? You may not have crossed one of them, but you kept integrity with yourself in your time. And then when you go home, you feel like I can actually leave work at work because I had integrity with my time throughout the day. And so guess what you do when you go home? Another value, you're present. And so those are some of the tools that I use. Some more of the tools is G-Code. Uh, if you guys follow Ryan Stuman, you've heard of G-Code. If you're in Apex, you know what G-Code is. Uh, if you go to dailygcode.com, you can download. Uh, it's not even downloading. It's a web-based app. You save it to your, desktop, uh, to your phone as a screensaver or as a uh, phone icon. And uh, every day it asks you, what five things are you grateful for? So I do those in the morning. 
and then I fill out the rest in the evening. And it's like, uh, did you work out today? Did you stick to your diet? What was your win for the day? What did you learn today? And then what are you, uh, one more question. And so you fill that out every day and you get up to four points. And so you know when you had a good week when you had 28 points, right? You worked out every day, you were grateful every day, you had wins every day. So it, I'm a tactical guy. If y'all haven't noticed, this is, this is the most like, like who knew legacy could be this tactical? You know what I'm saying? And so that's why I appreciated your presentation because it was incredibly tactical too. And then the refresher weekend, I got a ton of notes on that. Uh, so books is obviously another one. And uh, Apex is a big one. You know, Jeff talked about, Jeff alluded to this earlier, the people that you surround yourself are so incredibly important. And they're, they're also my tools. You know, there's, there's men within our group that they didn't know it, but they kept me in line. When I'm traveling, you know, after me, so when me and Alicia got back together, we just, we just moved in together. We hadn't gotten married yet. It took us 14 months to actually remarry, right? And I had been, unfortunately, living this single man's life, right? Which is very difficult to do. I feel for you guys if you're single right now because it's very difficult to do that and live a fulfilling life because there's so much easy satisfaction out there right now. And so I had to go from that to being a family man again and being, and if I wanted to propose to her, I better be acting like a husband already, right? And so the temptation was real. The devil was coming after me hard because he knew I was gonna, that God was gonna restore what was once broken. And so because he knew that he was coming after me hard and I had these men around me that were in their hotel rooms by nine o'clock at night. They're up at 4 a.m. working out. They're having conversations about their wives and their business, not other women, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I had a lot of men like that around me, so I, they were, without knowing it, they were tools to keep me in line so that I, I could intentionally live these values. And then I don't really have to say it on this one, church, I'm, if I'm not a big Bible reader, I better be going to church, right? I better immerse myself in people that do read the Bible and learn from people that read it, right? There's, how, many, how many books are there out there that you know all the lessons in the book, but you never read it because you listened to someone speak about it, right? And so that's why it's incredibly important for me to go to church and Bible. And prayer has been a big one. We pray every night. We pray uh, every time we sit down to eat a meal, even if it's just me and Alicia, we're praying. We never used to pray like this in our 20s. So that's another tool that is going to keep me living my values intentionally. All right, so let's, the next example is identify the passions, right? We need to... If, if your values are not present in your passions, then they're not going to be present in your legacy. And your legacy is going to be, it's going to be susceptible to the things of this world, right? But if your values are present in your passion and your assets are a result of your values and your passion, those, those, that legacy is going to be indestructible because it's not of this world. So my passions... And, and as a reminder, the passions is the work, the business, the investments, the philanthropy. I can never say that word right. So Argenta Field Solutions, that's the business that I, that I bought when I was 23. That's a big passion for me. Uh, Argenta Solar, 
you know, I just started that roughly 12, 14 months ago. That's a huge passion for me, obviously. Uh, and I didn't put this on there. I don't know why I didn't, because I have more fun doing the Building Great Sales Teams podcast than anything else right now, probably. But it doesn't pay the bills, so. Um, my property. So I have three acres. I told you guys I have three acres where the snake was at, right? Um, I love working on that property. You know how that, that old thing, like, don't, don't do a $10 an hour job when you can be doing a $1,000 an hour job? Well, I love mowing my grass. That is a $10 an hour job, and I will do it every week because it makes me happy. So working on my property is a passion of mine. The, the landscaping we put in, we put it in the garage. Because I know that that three-acre property is going to be my kids someday, right? Because we're going to be on our 100-acre ranch, and I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit. We're going to be on our 100-acre ranch. That's where we're going to retire on. But someday our kids are going to want to move out. And I want to know they always have a place close to home, which is going to be that property. So I'm going to build it out for them to be able to use someday. And so another one is uh, Operation Underground Railroad. That is a nonprofit that focuses on uh, basically uh, doing undercover work with uh, child sex trafficking. Okay, And so that's one of the, the main uh, nonprofits that I donate to, as well as I want to get more in, involved in someday. They actually, you know, uh, Sean Whelan's done it before. You guys know Sean Whelan, Lions Not Sheep, right? He's done it before where he's gone undercover and, like, talked to the these horrible people that are selling children and then basically got them arrested and got all the evidence necessary to put them away, right? And that's what Operation Underground Railroad does. Operation uh, Lightshine is another one. They help different, uh, different enforcement agencies communicate with each other because a lot of times the local state will come across a child sex trafficking case and not know what to do with it to get it to the FBI or Immigration Customs Enforcement, or whatever the case is. And so they, they help bridge that communication gap with technology, right? You can go and put that child's name in a database, and every agency can contribute to that database. Um, and then the last one, uh, w which is our solar company, which is uh, uh, a champion shoes. And if you guys are in Apex, you'll see a little bit more of this. And it's basically a nonprofit that Mike Claudio started that he buys shoes for underprivileged children. And they're not just regular shoes, they're like Nikes and Jordans, you know what I mean? Not Yeezys or anything, but really nice shoes. Because there's nothing more amazing as a six-year-old or an eight-year-old than putting on a brand new pair of shoes when you, you know, your, your parents just bought them for you, but what if you don't have parents to buy them for you, right? And so he wanted to create that experience for kids. And so for every solar system we install, we also donate a pair of shoes to kids in need. And, and then, as you can see, the last one there, Texas barbecue, which is way better than whatever you guys are doing here. If you gotta put sauce on it, if you gotta put sauce on your barbecue, I'm sorry, it's not good barbecue. I'm just kidding. The whole hog is badass, I love that. And you guys are the best at that, for sure. So those are my passions. How do I incorporate those values into my passions, okay? We can talk about this all day long, but I'm going to focus on your business, all right? And this is how I do it in my business, okay? I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> but work values intentionally, 
All right, so the easiest way to do this is to establish core values. Establish a mission statement, establish core values. So our, our mission is we help each other achieve freedom. What does that mean? Well, when I talk about freedom, it's freedom from, it's, it's financial freedom, it's freedom of my time, it's freedom of my health, and then it's freedom from sin. And so we help each other achieve freedom. That's my, I, I didn't get into, I didn't, I didn't buy Argenta because I wanted to sell AT&T products. I didn't get into solar because I'm super passionate about global warming, you know what I'm saying? I wanted to create opportunities for people like me when I was 18 years old and I was hungry to do something amazing. I knew I was gonna be great, I just didn't know what it was. And Argenta would have provided the opportunity for me to not only make a bunch of money, which is important, but also to develop myself as a leader and then to achieve freedom. And so I wanted to create a company that did that, that would have serviced me when I was 19, 20, 21 years old and going through 20 jobs and not understanding why I could never function as an employee. And so our core values are we put the mission first. If it does not help us achieve freedom, we don't do it, okay? We operate with integrity. There's so many people in door to door that lie their asses off and I wasn't gonna be one of those that did that. Obviously I have a personal reason for operating with integrity too. And I'm gonna tell you guys a little story. Um, so I, I have two divisions, right? I have AT&T and I have solar. And so my AT&T division used to run on its own. You talk about not working in your business, working on your business. That was my AT&T business. If I had a new idea, I was implementing that. Other than that, I didn't have to touch it. I had a director on that side of the business, okay? When I implemented these core values, I went to that director because I'm still divorced, right? Um, I knew that he would cheat on his wife. You know what I'm saying? And so I went to him and said, hey, we're implementing these core values and you need to understand that if any of that happens around the business that this isn't gonna work. And honestly, you need to figure out that because I don't want anyone in my business that is willing to do that because integrity is gonna be a core value of ours, okay? And he said, I'm with you 100%, I don't do that anymore. You know what I'm saying, I've hit the straight and narrow, going back to church, all these things. All the things we wanna hear, right? Turns out it was lip service. He ended up sleeping with one of my admin. And so the reason I tell you this story is because there's a monetary lesson here and it's to the tune of $1.5 million. Okay, that was what his division produced in gross. And honestly, when we were building up our solar company, that division funded the building of the solar company. And so a couple days later, I had to fire him. And since then, I have seen a million dollar loss in, in uh, projected revenue for this year. So I basically lost a million dollars because I kept the core value of integrity. But I also established something that now everybody knows that works for us moving forward is we will not compromise our core values. They're not just pretty words on the wall. So if you're gonna put these words on your wall, if you're gonna start operating like this, make sure you're willing to lose a million dollars over it. Gross revenue, not profit. Let's not get too crazy. The third one is we don't make excuses. You know, that's one of the things I've learned from my, one of my mentors, Ryan Stuman. And uh, 
anytime we have a problem and we know what the reason for that problem is, it's not an excuse if you follow it with a solution. So that's incredibly important for us. We work hard, we pray hard. This is a play on we work hard, we play hard, right? Because I, I had too many people in my business doing that, especially when I was in my 20s, I was one of them. You know, I subscribed to that crap. And all it did is left a gaping hole in my soul. So it's we work hard, we pray hard. And because when you work hard and you have success, what's the first thing you should do? Thank God for that success, right? And then last but not least, we live in gratitude. So every morning I have a sales flow chat. We post all of our sales in there. And every morning everybody posts what they're grateful for in that chat. So we not only set the tone for our days personally by going through G-code, but we also set the tone for the company by posting what we're grateful for. It's just one thing in that chat. And since then, since we've implemented these core values and actually intentionally implemented them in our business, I've seen at least a 300% reduction in, in, uh, in our retention rate, a 300% increase in our retention rate. And what's happening in the company is we're actually operating with these core values. Now, they may go home and have a different set of core values. That's fine. There's nothing I can do about that. I'm not going to go investigate your home life. But we know in the company that we, we live and we work by these core values. So when you work for us, then you're agreeing to that. Okay? So how do you implement these in your company besides all the examples I gave you? Because those are all reactive examples. You've got to be proactive with it too. So the ways that we do that is before every meeting, we recite our mission statement and our core values and we call on different people to do it right to make sure everybody has memorized them or at least they took the effort to pull up their notes and they're reading off of their notes but still that effort to do that starts storing those core values in your employees subconscious and then as you do it more and more they store in your subconscious and then your brain starts operating based on those core values this is neuro-linguistic it's something sciencey that uh, I'm not smart enough to talk about. So the next, the next piece of that is hiring and firing. So the easiest way to hire and fire on core values is uh, using a questionnaire at the beginning. So this questionnaire, if they don't fill it out, they don't move on in the hiring process. There's stages, right? Because if they, you know, right now to fill out an application, all you have to do is push a button, right? And it fills it out automatically. The questionnaire is work, right? And so we work hard at Argenta. So if you're not willing to fill out that questionnaire and all you do is hit that application and the next step is the questionnaire and you go on to the next job ad, then you're not for us. That's one of the ways we reduce the amount of people that don't align with our core values. Firing, y'all just heard that story I told, right? <laughs> so you hire and fire based on core values and then your clients too. You know, I can honestly say AT&T is not gonna be a client of mine very much longer because of the turnover within their business and the way that their distributors and their, uh, their corporate people operate. They don't align with our core values, so we don't have to have them as clients. You know what I'm saying? And the beautiful thing about solar is you can pick your clients. Pick the neighborhoods you work in, the communities you work in, whatever the case is. And losing one client in solar is a lot easier than losing a client like AT&T, obviously. And so this is how we work our values into our passion, which is our business in our case, right? And that way we can develop a stronger legacy. 
So the result of that business for me, you know, assets is the fortune, the real estate and the heirlooms, right? Um, the asset that I want, the physical tangible asset that I want is 100 acres in Divine, Texas or in that area in South Texas. I don't know, I can't tell you exactly why other than it's stable, right? 100 acres says stability. And I didn't have that growing up. I was, you know, my stepdad was military. We moved all over the place and they always had financial issues. So 100 acres to me represents stability, right? And then if I'm, if I have these values and I'm incorporating them into my passion, then they're going to be incorporated into my asset too, which is that 100 acres. Obviously, if I want, if I want to, if I want to get it, I'm going to have to have integrity on the way there. I'm going to have to work hard on the way there. And so the next asset is a ranch home. Everything is going to center, center around these hundred acres, a, a guest home so that I can bring my friends and my family and my business relationships into town. And it's going to be self-sustaining. I, I do actually am passionate about solar. I do believe in that for our future, you know, as a, as a, as a human race. And, and I do believe in sustainability with that we're all responsible for our own sustainability. So that 100 acres is gonna have solar power, uh, gas power, it's gonna have wind power, it's gonna have uh, uh, a garden. So basically we can live there without needing anything from the outside community. And that also has to do with some of my wife's uh, conspiracy theories too. So I have to take care of her uh, legacy too, right? <laughs> And then, and then, you know, I was trying to think of the heirlooms, you know, because I don't have a lot of, like, physical things that are incredibly important to me. But I guess one of them would be my, my knife that my, my wife got me when we got back together. Um, and it, 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 it says on it the same thing. Then this is the original ring from our, when we first got married. Isn't that crazy that she kept it that whole time? So I was still in her heart. She just didn't know how to forgive me, right? So it says, God be with us together and apart. And so I have a, a uh, I forgot the brand, but it's a really nice brand and she's got it inscribed on there. So I imagine that my kids are gonna have that someday. So that's an heirloom. She has a three-tiered shelf in the corner of our bedroom that her like grandmother's mother gave her. And so that's gonna be a family heirloom, right? And so these are, and like I said, you have to be intentional about it, right? Because these are things that the government, that other people can take from us, these assets, right? So what's more important, the asset or the value? The value, obviously, the value is the foundation, okay? But to me, the assets will be stronger if your values and your passions go into those assets. They're not just given to you, you know what I mean? You have to work for them. My kids are gonna have to continue this legacy if they want to. If they don't, I'm not putting that on them. I want them to have my values. The asset is important to me, yes. I would like it to see go down in the family, but if that's not something they want to do, that's their decision. What can I do about that? But that doesn't mean my legacy ends there because that's the only thing I had to offer the world was an asset. One of the things I would encourage you to do is to practice visualization. One of the ways that I came up with this asset I, I know exactly how the ranch style home that I'm gonna build looks. It's a U shape. 
I can see the bedrooms, I can see the kitchen, I can see the pool in the middle of that U and the hot tub off to the side because, you know, the kids are going to graduate eventually, right? We've got to have a good time. And the guest house, I can see how it's all laid out. And I can see the opposite side of the property where the hunting area is and the other side of the property that has a shooting range, right? And I can see all this because I practiced visualization for 30 days straight when I was on phase two of 75 Heart. And I never would have done that before. I never would have stored that in my subconscious if I didn't practice visualization. So that is a part of this process in being intentional about it. Too many people go through life and say, oh, I'm working my ass off, I'm building this business, and I'm going to leave that behind to my kids, and that's going to be my legacy. The IRS can take your business like that if you screw up, if you don't hire David. I mean... So, you know, and one of the things I need to work on, too, is I say my a lot when it's actually our. It's me and my wife's legacy, right? And what I imagine for us, and this is just because I want to share this with you guys, because y'all have allowed me to go for an hour now. Um, well, it looks like an hour. The first thing that I visualized when I started phase two of 75 hard was this massive oak tree right and we have live oaks in texas and so it's this massive oak tree and i imagine when me and alicia are gone my kids and their kids and their kids kids around this oak tree and of course if my legacy has lived on they're barbecuing you know what i mean and they're telling stories and they're laughing and they're present they don't have their phones or whatever technology they're going to have at that point, right? My, my kids are making sure that their grandkids don't have those devices in their hands. And they're telling stories in between talking about what's going to happen with the property and how they're going to continue our legacy. And that's the thing. All these things that we do, if, if we can screw up our kids so much, right? If my mom and my biological father can screw me up so much, then can't we build him up too? Can't we do that? So what I've visualized for that is them all standing around talking about how they're going to carry on that legacy. And I know it's, it, you know, part of you says like it's, it's ego, you know, maybe they don't want to carry it on the way that you do, but the point is that they'll have those values and they'll pass them on to their kids. And so, again, I hope I've empowered you to not only identify what that legacy is going to be and given you a short roadmap to build it and to, to be able to describe it the next time someone asks you, but also charged you with finding intention in building it, right? Paul talked a lot about that, too. In, that's what we have to do, and he's 100% right. We need to be intentional about our lives. Because if we don't, like Jeff Brecken said, life will just happen to us, not for us. Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to execute on what you just heard and let's get building. As always, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts. 
You can also head on over to buildinggreatsalesteams.com and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast. See you next time.